Corinthians 15, 1 to 8, and then 12 to 19. Now I want you to make clear, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel that I preached to you, that you received on which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for your si- our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as though to one born at the wrong time, he appeared to me also. (laughs) Now if Christ is being preached as as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is futile and your faith is empty. Also, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified against God that he raised Christ from the dead, when in reality he did not raise him, if indeed the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless. You are still in your sins. Furthermore, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. For if only in this life we have hope in Christ, we should be pitied more than anyone. Thanks, Peter. Good morning everyone, it's good to be in church again. My wife says I should always start with a joke, and I always say that it's usually got nothing to do with what I'm talking about, just like this joke. What's the difference, sorry Laura, what's the difference between an optimist, a pessimist and a realist? The optimist looks up the tunnel and sees light at the end of it. The pessimist looks up the tunnel and sees only more darkness. The realist looks up the tunnel and sees the train coming. (laughs) And the train driver looks and he sees three idiots standing on the track. (laughs) Heard that one last week. This morning I want to remind you of the gospel like Paul did in that reading we just did now. In elementary uh, house church studies we've been doing throughout the year, going back to basics, remembering the the basics of our salvation, uh, the reason why we need salvation, the work of the cross, the work of the Holy Spirit and much more. And, And Paul starts this chapter, he says, I want to remind you of the gospel. He spent so much effort in 1 Corinthians spelling out the basics of how to do church and how to live like a believer and, 
and put the pagan things aside and how to use your spiritual gifts and how to get the thing done. How to behave like Christians. But get to chapter 15 and this is kind of his conclusion. He's wrapping everything up and coming to the point. Now brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you that which you received and on which you have taken your stand. We don't preach like that anymore. Which you have received and which you have taken your stand. Let, Paul is saying here, let me remind you of your strong foundation. Let me remind you where it all started and why the struggle is so worthwhile. Christ died. He points out these, these three truths. Christ died, Christ was buried and on the third day raised to life. It's essential to our faith, essential to the core of our faith <clears throat> that we follow, that we worship, we trust in and we believe in a God who is very much alive. Now this chapter 15 is going to be covered by a couple of us so if, if I overlap on anything that Ian does next week you'll forgive me. Um, but I have to make an observation. An observation of the church, not just this church but the broader church of the whole country and the world. We do, we do well as a modern church as identifying with a crucified Christ. We do well at that. We've got a cross here. We identify well. We just, we just took communion. We identify with Christ crucified. And we should. We do well identifying with a Christ who suffered. And we should. We do well identifying with the Christ that was buried and we ought to. We identify with these things so well probably because it's the stuff that happens to us. As suffering, death and burial, we identify them because we experience them. But I think something the church as a whole, not, not picking on us, I think we do this quite well, but as, as a church as a whole, we don't identify very well um, with, a, with a Christ that is risen. To be a, a church that identifies itself with a risen king. I think we would have so much more hope for the future. We would get more excited about the future. We wouldn't be fearful of the future if we lived like we were a church that identified more with a risen Lord. In the last 12 months or so, I think we've had a, a period in our house where we've just about lost half our household appliances. They've all decided to go in the same year. You get that? We've lost the vacuum cleaner. We had to change that over. We, we, I think something went wrong with the dishwasher. That was a bit older. Something went wrong with the fridge, the air conditioner, the dryer had to get replaced. But the most memorable one was the washing machine. Our washing machine didn't just die quietly. <laughs> Our wash, washing machine had a violent death. It did. It, stuck by, it started by shaking the laundry. You were in the kitchen and you could hear it shaking around. 
And we just sort of put up with it. Uh, until one day it shook that much it fell off its stand and collapsed on the other side of the laundry and pushed the ironing board into the wall. And I said, Chris, we just got to get a new one of these. We can't put up with this. And she says, no, no, we've replaced everything else and it's too much money and it's, you know, we'll, we put this wash stuff through it to get rid of, you know, clean things up, get the imbalance out of it and it actually improved for a while. Oh, it's fixed it. Until a few weeks later this... This shaking starts again and you, you hear it starting to get louder and starting to shift the whole machine around. I said, oh, we just got to get a new one. Uh, so Chris goes shopping for a new washing machine. And I've, I've learnt from my past that um, when you buy something, you buy quality because I've bought too much junk in my, my past and I know that it doesn't last very long. So you just buy quality and, and she, she gets me on the phone at work and says, I, I got this one that's, that's this much money but this one's a good one but it's so much more money and, and I'm not sure about it. And, I'm, and I said, you know, you know, I said, don't, um, just, just go for the quality. And there is a, this, this point of the conversation she has with me sometimes, I usually say this line that sounds a bit mean but she knows me. And I say, I'll say, look, just stop acting poor. <laughs> stop acting poor. Now, there was a time in our lives when we didn't have to act poor because we really was. <laughs> but it's not anymore. We, we're not poor anymore. Stop acting. Buy the quality. And sometimes I think when, as a church as a whole, when, when we mourn at the cross, and we should when we, we mourn at his suffering and we ought to, when we grieve at his death, death and, and it should, we should do that, but if it ends there, if we don't identify with the resurrection, we are acting poor. We end up acting like a church that has no hope or power if we don't identify with the resurrection as much as the rest of it. God has given us this resource in a risen Christ. If, if we don't use that resource, we are acting poor. We can become the church that goes through all the motions, the church that has um, the form of godliness, you've heard that, but denies its power. It's like having a signed blank cheque and never cashing the thing. We act poor. The cross and the resurrection, you can't divorce the two. Without the cross, the resurrection wasn't necessary and without the resurrection, the cross has no power. And we share in Christ's resurrection, do you know that? When Paul talks in Romans 8 and even later in chapter 15, he'll start to say a bit about this, that we share in his sufferings, he says in Romans, that we might also share in his glory. We share in his resurrection. We get a share. I watched a good movie the other day called The Case for Christ. Have you seen it? It's a, a story, it's a true story based back in the, uh, the 80s there somewhere. Um, a guy and his wife, his wife came to Christ first and he didn't want anything to do with it. He was basically a, a, um, an atheist. But his work as a, an investigative journalist he thought he'd get on, on the bandwagon and try and find 
the, the facts behind this, if there's any, he really was just trying to prove his wife wrong. He thought, if I can dig up enough dirt, I'll prove this Christ's resurrection nonsense. But at the process of going through his investigations, he learned that much evidence of the resurrection of Christ, he became a believer himself. He now pastors a church somewhere in America. He found the facts that there are today 5,843 surviving original manuscripts of the New Testament, all giving witness to the resurrection. That is unprecedented in any other recorded history of the world, any other event. There is not that much recorded history about it. We also know that Jesus appeared to people... um, after his resurrection, he appeared to two or three there and, and his disciples over there. We knew that what from the text we read today, he appeared to 500 people at once. This happened at, at um, Galilee, most, people, most uh, theologians think. And it's something that you can't fake. If you can get one or two people having a delusion of their own minds, they, they can, you can sort of fake that and you can... Convince yourself you've seen something when you haven't. But you can't do that with 500 people at once. They all just saw what they saw. Another fact is Jesus' body was guarded by, by um, more than the, the usual presence of soldiers because they were convinced that believers would come and pick up the body and make up the resurrection story, which a lot of major religions and atheists believe today. But Roman law stated that if a guard allowed a prisoner to escape, it was your life for theirs. The fact that they were bribed and let, let to go free, it stinks of a, of a, of a um, conspiracy. If there is one subject in the world that has been tried to be proved or disproved, it's the resurrection of Jesus. You know the, sh- the Shroud of Turin? Turin, I said that right? Mike Willis is trying to get um, authenticated. It's been tried to be proved or disproved because by its very nature to come back from the dead after you've been gone for three days is quite impossible. And that is the whole point. That's the whole point that Paul says this in here. We ought to identify with a Christ that can do the impossible. We ought to live like it, we ought to act like it and pray like it. Otherwise we're a church that's acting poor. And we're going to be doing that later. We're going to be praying for people and we're going to be praying like we belong to a risen Christ who can do the impossible. The great thing about the Bible and and the way that history is recorded in the Bible is that the Bible will always give you, um, it's a a topic in Bible college called a a type or a shadows. It always gives you an example of what's about to happen in the future by what's happened in the past. Okay? If you want to learn more about the rapture, take a close look at people called Enoch, who was Noah's great-great-grandfather, uh, Elijah, these, these men that did not die but were just taken. 
It's a picture of the rapture. If you want to look at the example of salvation, you look at Moses and how he led the Israelites out of slavery into freedom. You can look at uh, some of the sacrificial animals that were in Leviticus and elsewhere. You can look at the the Passover lamb in in, uh, Exodus. A picture for the sacrifice that Christ will make in the future, once and for all. You can find a picture of baptism when the Israelites cross the Red Sea and go in to the sea as slaves and captives and come out the other side free and slaves no more. A new creation. And when it comes to the things that we as Christians are asked to do or believe in, God never leaves us without an example to follow. And the same is true about the resurrection of Christ. You take a close look at the way Jesus rose from the dead because one day it'll be you. All those that believe in Christ shall rise again. Not as some spirit floating through the air on the wind but a real person with flesh and bones. A resurrected body and I think Ian's going to speak more about that next week so I won't steal his thunder. It's our great hope when this life is over as Christians, as believers, we get another go. Can you imagine someone who doesn't believe in a resurrection? If you don't believe in life after death you can do the sums yourself. You probably might have 20 or 10 or 5 years left. You might start to think, what's the point? Why shouldn't I just live for myself? Why shouldn't I just fulfil every one of my selfish desires regardless of the consequences? Why shouldn't I just live it up? And as Paul says later, he quotes Isaiah later in the chapter, why shouldn't I just eat and drink for tomorrow we die? Does that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound like a world with no faith at all? Living just for the moment? There's a a word for that. It's called hopeless. Life without the resurrection. But you can, can you imagine for a minute, could could you dare to believe that Jesus did in fact rise from the dead just for a minute? And, and there, therefore all that believe in him might share the same fate. And if you believe that, can you see that that changes your purpose for living? That suddenly everything you do matters for eternity. And my life doesn't end here. In fact, when I die on this earth, my life just begins. The resurrection is a is our good ending to our story. It's our happy ever after. It's the hope of the church. When Jesus was resurrected on that, on that day, he appeared to many people throughout the Bible. And I'd just like to focus for a minute on two of them. Two guys that were followers of Christ, um, not disciples but followers, they, they were heading out from Jerusalem back to a little town called Emmaus, down the road, seven miles. 
And they were down in the dumps. They, they thought that Jesus was going to be the one that would rescue them, would, would turn Jerusalem around and be their saviour. And so when he died, it was, it was the end of it. And they were, they were walking home, kicking the dust. And this guy turns up just behind him, behind them. And starts to ask, why, why do you look so grumpy? What's the matter? And he starts talking with them and, and he says, um, he starts quoting scripture. He says, don't, don't you know the prophets and what, what they said about this guy? And after a while they started a bit of a conversation and they said, well, it's, look, it's nearly dark. You better come home and have some dinner with us. So he comes in with them, this, this guy, and he has, sits down with them. And then he... During the meal he breaks bread and their eyes are open and they realise who this guy really is. It's the resurrected Jesus who's been walking with them and talking with them all day. And as soon as they recognise him, he vanishes. Appears somewhere else. And they use this, this weird phrase. They say... They talk about later and say, gee, didn't our hearts burn when we were talking with him? Isn't English a word, a weird language? That we'd use the same phrase to describe a risen Lord, a risen Lord an encounter with Jesus. We'd use the same phrase when I'd reach for the bottle of my lanta. My heart's burning. Something happens to the human spirit when we encounter the living Christ, the Jesus who is still living, and there is words that cannot express it. And the English words we use are so inadequate. It's a feeling so wonderful that it's hard to put into words. Ask a Christian... Why do, you be, uh, why do you believe in the resurrection of Christ? They won't get out their facts and figures. They won't quote different things from different historians. They could. And they'd be very convincing if they knew their facts. But they, they probably wouldn't say that. They'd just quote like the writer of the old hymn, Alfred Ackley, who wrote the hymn, You ask me how I know he lives, because he lives within my heart. Didn't our hearts burn? And if you receive the living Christ in your life today, you'll probably use stupid words like that too. Didn't our hearts burn? Because you're trying to describe something powerful and real and you don't know how to do it. We're probably a month away from our bushfire season. And um, we, we know the devastation that bushfires can bring. But when you go back to a bushfire scene a year later, apart from a few blackened trees, you'd hardly know there was a devastation there. It's been resurrected. Jesus makes this statement at the end of the Bible, at the end of Revelation, the world is in a mess. The bushfire has gone through, war's gone through, it is in a turmoil. The bomb's gone off. And he, Jesus steps up from his throne and he looks into this mess and he says this phrase, Behold, I am making all things new. He's the only one qualified to say that. 
Everything we seem to touch seems to wear out and fall apart. Jesus is making all things new. Isn't that what the resurrection really is? Something that was dead and finished and hopeless and now there is life again? What is it that you need the resurrected Christ to breathe into your situation today? Is there something you need a resurrection for? Something you think is dead and buried and finished? Let's pray. Lord, our hope is hinged on a resurrected Christ. And that coming to this place today and coming to this church is more than just a gathering of, of good friends, more than just people who remember your cross, and that's important, more than just people who remember your suffering, and that's important, more than people who just remember your death, and that's important. But today we are reminded of your resurrection. And we are reminded of the hope and the power that lives in that statement. You are making all things new. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.